Hey guys, before we get into it today, be sure and follow me on Twitter at Danny Belts, Danny underscore Belts with a Z. Follow the Sports Antidote on Twitter at Sports Antidote One and follow us on Instagram, please, at the Sports Antidote as we continue to grow the show. We see new listeners in different states. We're very excited and we're looking to get that momentum as we come into gambling season, gambling football season, football gambling season. What could be better? Anyway, we've got a good one for you today. Stick around, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell some friends about us, Chief. We could use it. Jeremy Brett played the best Sherlock Holmes of all times, this being the intro music on the old BBC show, I believe. And that's not Pornhub, just to let you know. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, just an amazing author. We'll tie this story, the Redheaded League, into the NBA, get into some college picks as well. But before we do anything, a foreword from the head coach of the LSU Tigers, Coach Ed Ogeron. Welcome to the Sports Antidote, The Reset, episode number 12. I'm your host, Danny Belts, with a Z, the Red-Headed Basketball League. Ooh, I like that title. The Red-Headed League with Arthur Conan Doyle, one of the best Sherlock Holmes stories ever. Funny, we're going to tie them to what the NBA is doing right now. Make no mistake, uh, they're building a tunnel. To where? Oh, we'll get to that. Uh, and it ain't to hell either. It's right to the bank, unfortunately. Unbelievable experience on an airplane today, and I think I realized who wants to keep COVID going the most. I almost got killed in an Oregon grocery store last night. We have White Bitch of the Week, a really good one. Some college football picks, uh, finally, no futures, and we are going to wait on the NFL for now. Uh, for next week, we'll be able to slide an episode in. Hopefully, Dickie Salvo and our NFL contributors can jump on uh, for that. 
So, interestingly enough, I have figured out what who's trying to keep the COVID going, and it is undoubtedly airplane. All the gay guys and and straight women that are stewardesses and stewards on airplanes, because the hardest job by far for these people is beverage service. If you haven't seen beverage service before or flown, I'm sure you have. It's an absolute pain in the ass, right? Everybody wants something different. Everybody's bitching and moaning. I want another snack. I want a Diet Coke. Do you have any lemon? Do you have any lime? Eh. How about a Fresca? Well, now that there's no beverage service on Southwest and Delta, it's like a Mardi Gras parade. It's like Endymion on Canal Street. Canal and Carrollton, right there. They just start throwing bags, and you better get them bags early. It's like a prison raid in there, dude. Prison riot. People are grabbing like 10 bags. They don't care. They have two, two little six-ounce waters in this bag and some Fugazi Chex Mix, some bootleg Chex Mix that says Southwest on it. It is absolutely insane. And there's no more beverage service, and they're so happy because now they don't even need to do anything. They just tell you how to buckle your seatbelt in the beginning, and they tell you to keep your mask on because, of course, they want to keep the charade going because they don't have to do beverage service, and they throw a bag at you. Some dude jacked someone's bag. I mean, it was insane. It's every man for himself on these airplanes right now, I got to tell you. And then I'm over here in Medford, Oregon. It's 105 degrees today. I don't know how that's possible. I'm glad I brought a sweatshirt. South Oregon. There's a grocery store called, like, Fred Taylor or something. Fred, I don't know. It's a warehouse, and you can, buy, you can buy a VCR there. They sell VCRs, and it's like the size of a football field, and it's all concrete. And I went there last night at 11 o'clock, tried to get something to eat, and there's forklifts flying around at 15 miles an hour. Like, if you don't have your head on a swivel, you will get your foot run over or possibly killed or impaled. I almost got hit by one of these things going, like, at least 15 miles an hour making a turn on two wheels. And then it's so weird. Like, it's really cheap. But there's Pinot Noir everywhere, of course, because we're in Oregon. But it'll be, like, cat food, bologna, Skittles on an aisle. And I'm, I'm so confused. And you ask people for help. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's right over there. And there's, like, graham crackers, Swiss cheese, and then cat food, and then Pinot Noir, and Snickers. There's no it's, – it's like it was, it was really bizarre. And then the freaks come out at night down here. Oh, Jeez. Everybody told me, oh, South Oregon's more, uh, they're more Republican. Yeah, <laughs> whoever said that must not have been in the grocery store with me last night. If I would have popped on a MAGA hat, I would have been able to walk back to my hotel, to say the least. <laughs> but to get to business, I will be by myself today. Unfortunately, no one can make it. The drunk neighbor's closing big deals. He's working 15-hour days. I've been traveling my ass off. Tommy Bench, super busy as we begin to get back into civilization in normal states. And Ned Ryerson, I believe, is still at the insurance convention in Fargo. Somebody's got to check on him. He had a great Instagram post yesterday promoting the podcast. I like it. The Redheaded Basketball League. Let's get into the Redheaded League. We'll kind of get that into the NBA. And then we'll be talking about three college games. I like three. That's a lot. But as you remember last year, opening week, and the year before that, and the year before that, we tend to do extremely well. I don't have any futures for you yet. I only have three. And we'll be able to do those next week with the NFL picks. So the Redheaded League is one of the most interesting of all the Arthur Co- – I can't call him sir, I'm sorry. But of all, the, of all the novels, short stories that he wrote regarding Sherlock Holmes, who is undoubtedly gay or super metro, I don't know. But if you watch the old – I said BB, the BB on the BBC, you can see Jeremy Brett, who is one of the phenomenal Sherlock Holmes. He has that amazing aristocratic white-collar – amazing British pronunciation there in the late 1800s and just you know he's always super well dressed and always goes to the opera and he's always he's like tall skinny looks pretty fit extremely witty as we all know Sherlock Holmes to be 
but he plays the part. You can watch these on YouTube. There's about 45 of them. Unfortunately, Jeremy Brett passed away years ago, but it is a great job. It's very difficult to depict Sherlock Holmes on a in cinema because the way that Doyle writes is so unique. He, he gives you clues to make you think one way, but he's a constant head faker. Head fake, head fake. He pump fakes the shit out of everybody because he gives you stuff that is going to lead you in the wrong direction. And nearly always in his literature does he do that misdirection. So it's very difficult to do that in a movie setting, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not a cinema buff by any means. I like B-horror. Starship Troopers is the best movie ever made. Fact. In this order. Dr. Shivago. The Bridge Over the River Kwai, Starship Troopers, then Gone with the Wind. I'm not sure what number five is. I don't know. A Few Good Men? Who knows? But anyway, these are the facts, and they are indisputed. So this starts off with Sherlock Holmes reading, the, reading a paper with a very large, fiery red-headed man, kind of fat, sweating, as Holmes chuckles as he reads over the paper. And then Dr. Watson, who seems to always... I think they make him the bumbling idiot. He is a practicing doctor. He's not an idiot. And actually, he, some of these other ones and some of the stories and some of the, the, uh, the redos as far as the movies go or short movies, Watson's portrayed as an idiot. He's definitely not. He's just not nearly on the level of Sherlock Holmes. But then again, if you read and watch, not many are. Sherlock Holmes' level of observance is that of a micro-observance. I like to think of myself as observant. It helps me a lot in what I do, my line of work. And when I'm talking about observance, I don't mean you walk into someone's office and you see a picture of Vince Lombardi and go, eh, Packers fan, huh? <laughs> I bet you hate the Bears. No, just talking about looking at people's hands, just looking at their mannerisms, maybe their watch, just the way they carry themselves or even posture, positioning. If they cross their arms, that means they're up and tight. That's uh, the biggest farce of all times when it comes to body language. Um, uh, when it comes to interpreting body language, that is a farce. But however, at the same time, his level of observance, his level of observance is otherworldly, which is what makes uh, them so these these to me so enjoyable, and especially the way that it's written and carried out in the movies. So as Holmes is reading a paper, which is an advertisement. I sound that that was Scottish advertisement. I love how the Brits say advertisement. And Watson comes in and then leaves, and Holmes jumps over a, a sofa, and then we get this. Oh, sorry, Holmes. No, no. You couldn't have come at a better time. Well, I was, I was afraid you were engaged. I am very much so. Doctor Watson shares my love of all that is bizarre and outside the routine of everyday existence. See how it just rolls off Jeremy Brett's tongue? It is amazing. Uh, the way that whoever wrote this, too, the, the director's incredible. Um, whoever did the dramatization, I don't remember their names, but very good. And you can clearly see why I'm just interested because listen to how he talks. It's incredible. How aristocratic and white collar can you get? Badass. So as we go on, he brings Watson into the story, and this is how the story unfolds. This gentleman, Jabez Wilson, owns a pawn shop. And upon owning the pawn shop, he puts out an advertisement for an apprentice. And about 25 people come knocking, one being a young man called Vincent Spaulding. And he offers his services for half the salary. That's a red flag right there. Why would you offer service for half the salary? Maybe he needed the work. Very attractive offer to Wilson. So, of course, naturally, he hires him. And upon hiring him after about weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, he notices that he also, when he's not working, likes to go down in the pawn shop basement where he claims, he being Vincent Spaulding, claims that he's into photography. He likes to use the basement 
of the pawn shop, Mr. Wilson's pawn shop, to develop his pictures of his hobby. And down there all the wee hours of the night and during his lunch breaks and everything, this is also, Wilson never goes down in the basement, uh, so he, it was basically free reign for him to be doing whatever he wanted. So we assume that what he's doing is just developing his pictures. So as weeks go on, he begins to trust the gentleman more. And then one day, Vincent Spaulding is reading the paper, and he says, man, you should join this red-headed league. There's an there's a adverti- advertisement here, phenomenal work, a little bit of work, and you make good money every week. And apparently it's uh, some aristocrat from... Uh, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, the story was, and he came over here and wants to keep this redheaded tradition going. It's a very shady article, but apparently if you have red hair, you're eligible, um, 21 and up, you're eligible to receive this payment, which at the time was four pounds a week, and you worked from 10 to 2, Monday to Saturday. Four pounds a week is a lot of money back then, a few hundred pounds a year, which translates to about 50,000 pounds right now as what it was then. But like anything, in order to get something going, as the plot unfolds, you have to make someone's idea think it's their idea, not yours. So as he's talking to Mr. Wilson, who happens to have fiery red hair, Spaulding then begins to plant the seed. (coughs) Corona. COVID. Uh, Maybe he should apply for the job. So that's what he does. He drops the paper, and this is how it sounds. Ah, there'd be thousands of reddited men apply. Oh, well, I doubt that, sir. Well, not with such a fine, fiery colour as you are blessed with, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> but then I suppose it's only worth your while to put yourself out of the way for the sake of a few hundred pounds. So they end up going to the interview. And just as Mr. Wilson thought, there is hundreds of red-headed people in there because they want to do nominal work, minimal work, four hours a day, six days a week, 24 hours a week. What, for four pound a week? That's a lot of money especially because it's only a part-time job. So red flags out the ass here as Vincent Spaulding, as Mr. Wilson says, oh, we can't do this. There's too many people. And, and this guy, Vincent Spaulding, his apprentice, just keeps pushing him forward going, no, never mind. We have to get to the manager. And he gets him all the way to the front of the line. Everybody's yelling at him for cutting him. And then, of course, he gets right in front of this guy named Duncan Ross, who was also a redheaded man, and he, he is the hiring manager in this situation. So he just circumvents the entire line, which is absurd. And then Duncan Ross looks at Jabez Wilson and he says, wow, this is the perfect candidate. Brings him in the room, pulls his hair to make sure it's real, gives him the job on the spot and tells everybody, kick rocks, this is our guy. Everybody gets all mad and leaves. And magically, coincidentally, this nobody gets him past 300 people in a line full of redheads into the guy that makes the decision. And lo and behold, he makes an instant decision and hires Jabez Wilson to be part of the red-headed league of London. Explains to him the work is 10 to 2. You cannot leave the office. You cannot leave the building. If you leave the office at any point during this time, you forfeit your wages for good. You will lose your job. This is very specific in the will as he continues to tell Mr. Wilson. Then he says, four pound a week, and here's the work. You have to copy the Encyclopedia Britannica. You provide the pen, you provide the paper, we'll provide the desk and the chair. So he kind of scratched his head and says the encyclopedia, but he says, don't worry about it. Just show up Monday. We'll get going. So he shows up Monday and there, there's Mr. Duncan Ross, everything as planned. He has his pen, he has his paper, and thus he begins to copy the encyclopedia for four pound a week. Starts with the A's and just begins to, like an absolute idiot, just copy, copy away. 
Now, to the naked eye, I mean, that might seem like a pretty cool job, right? I mean, yeah. But you have to know in the back of your head what the hell is going on here, right? I mean, yeah, the, the money's good. I might not say anything, but you have to be thinking, man, I, I just don't understand why I'm in this office by myself for four hours a day, six days a week, copying the Encyclopedia Britannica and getting paid. But when you're getting paid, you tend not to think why. Now, immediately when I first started reading this book a while ago, my little antennae already started to pop up because one thing, especially in the art of war, as we talk about that a lot, not just know that enemy, but one thing about your enemies, while it's a good idea to keep them close, is because of this. When you know where your enemies are or where you know when your enemy is, you know, when you're, you know where your enemy is not. Let me repeat that. If you know where your enemy is, then you know where he is not. I learned that the hard way my senior year with my two roommates as well. Rest in peace to Larry Rich. Uh, long story there. That's a whole nother podcast. But when you're here, you can't be there. You can't be two places at once. So that would already make me scratch my head. And yes, major spoiler coming. But while you're copying the Encyclopedia Britannica, what's going on in your pawn shop with your, um, your apprentice who you're working for half off who magically plants the seed of this red-headed league, gets you to the front of the line, and you're hired and you're working. When you're here, what's going on there? As they say, when the cat's away, the mice smoke crack. I believe that's how the parable goes. So as this goes on, after the eighth week, he's getting handsomely paid for his, his services, and he shows up on a Tuesday, and there on the door is a sign, a little card that says the red-headed league is hereby disbanded. So curiously enough... Jabez Wilson asked a couple people if they had seen Mr. Duncan Ross, and they go, um, not really, no. The address that he had for his office, he goes there, and it's a knee replacement building, which is not at all, it's a fake address. He gave him a fake address. And under the assumption that he's the, like, prank, this is a big prank, and he's the product of a huge prank, like he got punked, Ashton Kutcher's gonna bop out and be like, yo, son, we got you, what have you. He goes to Sherlock Holmes, and thus that's the beginning of the story, where he jumps over the sofa and says, come in, Watson. It's because he thinks he's a victim of a prank, hires Sherlock Holmes to find out what's going on. Holmes already naturally has his suspicions because, as he was reading that paper in the very beginning, as I said, he was laughing before Watson came in, laughing because he's reading the advertisement, advertisement, sorry, for the Red-Headed League. So Conan Doyle kind of writes as, let's say, a Tarantino would do a movie, so to speak. So he goes backwards before he comes forwards, but it all comes together at the end. Well, Sherlock Holmes finds himself in some sort of conundrum here because, one, this guy can't pay him. But Sherlock says, no, the bank will pay me. And then he kind of basically shows his hand right there, so to speak. Watson asks what he's going to do, and he says, this is a three-pipe matter. Give me 50 minutes and complete silence. So for 50 minutes, approximately, Holmes smokes three pipes and then pipes up after that 50 minutes and says, Watson, Eureka, I've got it. Take a walk with me. So they take a walk. He walks over to the very, very shop in which Jabez Wilson owns. And right outside is Vincent Spaulding, who Sherlock already suspects uh, Vincent Spaulding. And as he's walking towards there, he tells Watson that Vincent Spaulding is the fourth to smartest person in London. That's a very interesting quote. The fourth to smartest person. That's quite the compliment. However, Rest assured that one of the people that's in the top three, if not number one, is himself. Ergo, he's ahead of the curve. 
So as they're walking, he inadvertently asks Vincent Spaulding where a certain shop is or something. And he tells him, but as he's telling Sherlock, Holmes is looking at him. He's sizing him up. This is something Conan Doyle does all the time. He does not tell you Holmes is looking for clues when you can clearly see that he is. He sizes him up looking at his pants, looking at a birthmark on his neck and his ears. You can see this and you find out why later. I won't get into that. It's not necessary. However, they walk across the street. Sherlock Holmes is banging his cane on the ground as if to see if this is uh, hollowed out on this street, goes over to the bank and sees already what's happening and then graces us with this dialogue. A considerable crime is in contemplation. Today, being Saturday, somewhat complicates matters. But now, Doctor... Our work is done. It is time we had some play. Sarasati is playing at the St. James's Hall this afternoon. A sandwich and a cup of coffee? And then off to violin land. Where all this sweetness, delicacy and harmony. And no red-headed clients to vex us with their conundrums. It's at that point that Holmes already realizes that although he knows Vincent Spaulding is as an alias, this is John Clay, uh, a guy they've been chasing around for quite some time. After the symphony that they go to, the violin, excuse me, he gets one of his boys from Scotland Yard. They get a game plan together and go to the bank. Spoiler alert, inevitably, they're building a tunnel, okay, from the pawn shop underneath the road to the bank where there happens to be an influx of French bouillon, a lot of gold that they're going to make their way towards, which Holmes already knows, although the fourth smartest person in London very well might be John Clay, at large, it's more likely the number one or number two between Holmes is going to be with Professor Moriarty. And that is the ultimate evil genius and his nemesis arch-villain. As you go through the stories, he's one of the guys that no one's ever seen his face. He's too smart. He is the man behind the curtain as him and Holmes continuously lock wits and Holmes winning the first three, leading to what happens later to Moriarty actually taking out a contract on Sherlock Holmes, and I won't get into what happens there. Needless to say, they catch the bank robbers in the act of building that tunnel from the pawn shop to the bank, and that's the nitty-gritty there. So the thing is, is once again, while Wilson is one place, something is happening over here. Because where you are, you cannot be over there, correct? We know where you are, we know where you're not. Very smart way. What a great plan to get that guy out of there so he could, quote-unquote, go down there and hang some more photos and develop them while he's digging a tunnel. Holmes noticed while he went over there to, to ask that inadvertent, inadvertent question to John Clay, a.k.a. Vincent Spaulding, that his knees, his pants were worn by the knees. That's from the tunneling. He also identified these gypsy earrings that he wears, as well as a birthmark or a burn on his neck, which he identified. He knew who it was already, but didn't want to show his cards. And he prevails, once again, busting up the plan of the mastermind Morietti. But... The point, of the, the point of this isn't to really talk about, go into a bunch of you know, old school literature, but it does paint a pretty good picture. It paints a very, very good picture, in my opinion, of what the NBA is doing right now. With the NBA, and I know that this is low-hanging fruit, and I think people are like, you got to get more into the gambling side of things, get back to your roots. We are. Football's coming back. We can get back into that. However, I would be remiss. You know, if I didn't, if, if we didn't talk about some of the things happening and tie it into a good old fashioned story, what makes this podcast unique is the ability to do that. And more importantly, so 
What we've seen recently with the NBA, particularly in the wake of the Jacob Blake shooting, no one is on the side of the cop shooting him in the back six times. I don't think anyone's on board with that. Um, however, as we begin, to, we begin to get more and more details come out, it is kind of funny. Uh, it is actually, it's not funny at all. It's, it's, it's just extremely suspicious that in no way, shape, or form is anyone coming after any of these NBA players who basically took up for this guy, sight unseen, once again, LeBron James. LeBron James is not Professor Moriarty. He's more or less the Vincent Spaulding. Okay, he's a middleman. He's middle management. There's higher powers here, which we will graze into. We won't get all the way into. But, I mean, the New York Post writes up what happened, why the cops arrested uh, Blake, J- Jacob Blake, while they were there. We find out the victim, who's identified by her initials on paperwork, told police she was asleep in bed when one of her children, Blake, came into the room at 6 a.m., allegedly said, I want my shit, the record states, takes his finger, puts it in her vagina, unwillingly that's sexual assault if not rape smells his finger and says smells like you've been with another man what a great guy while his kids are in that car so the question is before we get into the tunnel is why can't reporters do their job well they're scared first of all because lebron james is untouchable he is the elliot he is literally not the elliot ness that that would be me coming after capone james trying to get a conviction for i don't care if it's tax fraud as it was i mean James, unapologetically, just still sticks with this guy. Why can't a reporter say, hey, LeBron, are you cool with the fact that this dude they shot, although I'm not agreeing with the way it happened, is a piece of shit with a rap sheet, uh, as long as Al, uh, nearly as long as Al Capone's, for something they could actually pin him on, right? Or George Floyd rap sheet, where he basically was sexually assaulting a woman right before this happened. Are you cool with that? Of course you'd be fired and castrated, but you'd get picked up by the National Review, Alex Jones, Maybe Fox News. Somebody would pick you up. Maybe Ben Shapiro. Just ask the tough question for once because no one asks LeBron the tough questions. They don't. As the NBA continues to build this tunnel to the gold, they just give you a pen and paper and encyclopedia Britannica and say, copy the A's. I'll give you some four pounds. Here's some shekels for your troubles. And you just take it. A lot of people are like, oh, we, we're sports stars. We get basketball. What the hell with that? The only reason I'm interested in this remotely is because I'm vested because of other reasons you may know or may not know. And at the same time, it's, it's, I'll check box scores. You know, I'll check what the scores are during the games, but I'm not gracing them with one click or not click, but one viewership when they look at viewers. I'm not giving them that. No. It's a terrible product anyway. Tw- with ratings down almost 26% as they continue to triple and quadruple down with Black Lives Matter, which is fine. But then the tunnel continues to go. As the tunnel gets toward the gold, okay, inevitably, which I believe the gold, is a complete shutdown. They wanted to shut this down. LeBron James wanted to shut this down. Monetary money aside, okay, I think everyone thinks they didn't. They knew that they weren't going to get paid, I think. They're not that stupid. But I do know this. Barack Obama, I'll give him his respect, President Obama did call uh, LeBron prior to that meeting. They had a 35-minute conversation. That's on the record. And he spoke to Michelle. And then he comes in there and says, we're not playing. I think President Obama had a lot to do with that as well. Now, he's not Mariotti as well. Moriarty. I keep mispronouncing that name. Tommy Bench is probably like, ugh. But I think there is more at higher powers right now trying to get everything to be shut down. And now they can leverage that through sports, which is why the NBA is just beholden to these people who are on the top. We don't know who they are. I'm not saying it's George Soros. But the tunnel's being, the tunnel's being dug still right now.
in front of your face. And they're not even telling you to go copy an encyclopedia while you're there or I'm here. They're doing it right in front of you. They're doing it while you're in the pawn shop. Nay, they're doing it while you're in the basement looking at him. Excuse my language with a big middle finger and a big fuck you. You don't like it, don't watch. Fine, because we obviously don't care. Advertisement, the negotiation for the advertisements, but Miller Lite in particular, I'm not paying you this anymore. No one's watching. Everyone's renegotiating contracts, renegotiating rates as ratings plummet. It's the lo- This is the NBA playoffs. We had two game sevens that came down to the final play in the first round with, pretty, with teams that people like to watch with uh, stars out the ass. No one watched it. I didn't. Oh, I lost my OKC series bet by one second, apparently, because people can't make free throws, but that's fine. But the thing is, is that as the tunnel is being dug, no one cares. No one's reporting it. It's not a story. It is a story. And they're continuing to go. They want this thing shut down. Don't think for one second this is over. Don't think for one second this is done. Because we shoot first ass later, no pun intended. So when the next person who does whatever heinous act he does and then some cop, particularly a white cop, like an idiot, shoots him, hopefully not in the back, hopefully it doesn't kill him, hopefully it doesn't happen, the third time will be a charm. Oh yeah, it'll shut down. And they won't play. And good. And then they'll learn the hard way. They'll learn the lesson Major League Baseball had to learn. They didn't get woke. When they went on that strike, they're barely recovering from that as of last year. When was the strike? A hundred years ago? I I feel like I was a child. And basketball thinks that they're impervious or immune. They are not. They, they could fall victim, and it's happening right now. They're not gaining one click, one viewer, by doing what they're doing. And they're alienating a lot of people like myself. It's more or less what we talked about last week. But just focus. If you take one thing from this, it's the tunnel. But instead of like in the redheaded league to the gold, or it's being done in secret and hiding within a great, great, great lie, this one's being done right in your face unapologetically and right loudly. They don't care if Scotland Yard knows. They don't care if the bank knows. They're going. And it ain't stopping. Just because they're playing don't mean the tunnel isn't continuing to be dug. Well, Danny Belts, that's great. Well, you know, it is great for a lot of reasons. One, you may have picked up on a cool uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, (laughs) Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The other one is that you have to understand here that this, this is happening in front of you. So just wait for this to hopefully nothing happens for the third time because if it does, it's going to hit the fan big time. And I just think there's so many politicians behind this. There are so many. We don't know who the man behind the curtain is. We really don't. But whoever it is is above President Obama. But we all want this thing shut down. I mean, Governor Newsom in California, what else is he going to do? Cancel an Uber Lyft? He can't go outside, wear a mask to the gym. The gyms are closed. I'm in Oregon right now. You got to wear a mask. You got to wear a mask outside. You know, they look at you weird. This is nuts. 6%? Oh, yeah, don't worry about the CDC and the 6%. No. Now the argument is, you see the argument? that cancer. They're arguing that the 6% of people that died of COVID, not with COVID, they're saying that there's a Johns Hopkins study that says it's the same thing with cancer. Oh, really? I went to culinary school. Let's compare the death rate to COVID-19 to cancer. You want to do that? I don't have to go to medical school to tell you that cancer kills way more people. It clips at a way higher rate. You want, you want to bet? I don't even need to look at the numbers. Well, bounce, it's not the same. No, it's ridiculous. It is the same. Not the same in that regard, but it's the same diversion, trying to get away from the, the actual reality. It just drives me nuts. I'm sorry. Cancer kills way more people than COVID-19. Well, people die with something else. People die of cancer by the minute. <laughs> that Billy Jack bullshit out of here.
Oh, let's get into White Bitch of the Week, and then we'll get into some gambling and wrap her up. This is an absolute no-brainer. I'm sorry. Nancy Pelosi, you are the white bitch of the week. And, you know, you should have got it when you were running through your refrigerator on your awesome Instagram video showing us your 50,000 different ice creams, a designated freezer just for ice cream as people are struggling. They're not working on unemployment, but it's all good in the $50 million mansion of Nancy Pelosi in North San Francisco. Of course. Yeah. She's living right. And while nobody can get their hair done, their hair did. This is low-hanging fruit, but I don't care. Certainly she did. I'm so glad they turned over that video. They're, they're, that guy's going to get shot. They're going to kill him. Oh, the Clintons are probably already getting the, the hit on him. Nancy Pelosi thought she was above it. And these salon people are fed up with it. Blue Wave, that guy that did that is probably a massive liberal Democrat going against his, one of her own constituents spitting in her face. So no one else can go to a hair salon, but you can. Do as I do, not as I say. Pelosi is a scathing hypocrite. I don't care if she was a Republican. I'd allow her out the same way. Destroying, always going after the rich when she is super rich. Her husband has made millions, tens of millions off of hyper economic platforms like carnivorous capitalism. Yeah, he's not up there in some nonprofit. God, you know, I'm, that's a whole other show in itself. I don't want to mention that guy's name. It makes me sick. And she can go ahead and do that, and you can't, because she's above you. And that's the thing. If this COVID thing was really a big deal, then she would have a mask on. She'd be outside like everybody else getting her hair did, but not Nancy. Because what's good for her is what's not better for you. So just you go, you get your hair cut by your friend in your bathroom. She can go ahead and get it done. White bitch of the week, Nancy Pelosi. Speak, God, she is just, it's time to go. She is probably, she's the Strum Thurman of the Republican side. Like, just, it's, it's over. Just get out of here. Jesus. Unbelievable. Scathing hypocrites. Disgusting. Let's get into some picks. Well, it has been a long time on this podcast since we have talked about college football ATS. Like I said, next week, we will be getting into the futures. We have NFL futures and college futures. Uh, hopefully, we can have... The Wolf of Lakeview, he's been busy. He coaches his kids, play a lot of baseball and such. Hopefully he can come on. I know that Dickie Sabo will be coming on with the drunk neighbor to talk about not just MMA or UFC, uh, but some other things as well. We'll get into, we'll get less anti-woke <laughs> as sports goes, but I'm sorry. I couldn't get away from this one today as I'm just, I'm just beginning to think that that analogy could not be more, um, could not be more correct. Uh, so, oh. A little new Mala music here. Not that many games this week into weekend. Next week it really begins. The ACC looks like they've lined their games up too. I see some interesting ones more next week than this week. But I'd be remiss if we didn't get into what I really like. So let's get it going. Southern Millionaires University. Coached by Sonny Dykes. Loved him at La Tech. Boy, did he suck at Cal. Hard to get a read on him at SMU. But he has always good. Always been good at getting these people to transfer to his program. may not remember some of the people he did at La Tech, but he did it at Cal. Regardless of them being good or not, working out or not, he's always been really good at this, and he did it with Shane Bushell. You may remember him, the big boy from Texas. Didn't really work out, but this may be the Jeff Driscoll effect. Remember that? Jeff Driscoll, one of the more highly touted college recruits in the history of mankind. Everybody wanted a piece of that kid. He stayed home and went to Florida. Just didn't work out. 
However, he transfers to La Tech, has a great season, wins nine games, destroys a team in the New Orleans Bowl, has one of the most impressive combines ever, and made his way to the NFL. And I believe is still bouncing around as a third, second-string quarterback. I remember he ran for like a 40-yard touchdown versus the Saints amidst a blowout when he played for Buffalo. I was happy. I've always liked Jeff Driscoll. I think he's a trooper, and I like what he did at La Tech. That being said, uh, Bochelle had a huge year last year. 4,000 yards, 35 touchdowns, extremely accurate, not turnover prone, big boy, he can run. I like him a lot. This is just a, a just a, a, a class difference here. This is a weight class difference. You know, I love Texas State, the Bobcats. Remember we went to watch them play Southern uh, Southern Miss years ago on beat Texas State, Texas State Day. <laughs> they, they won the game outright as we all there rooting for Texas State. That was the same. <laughs> Insane. Southern Miss laying 22 points. Not really my cup of tea, but if you remember last year, I had no problem laying almost more than that with Wisconsin playing South Florida, another futures lock South Florida. What a joke. Seven and a half last year. <laughs> Charlie Strong, come on. Get, get, a, get real, bro. Get a, get a group, son. Not happening. I don't mind laying chalk early. You guys know I'm mostly an underdog guy, but I think right now this is just a case of this is our classmanship. Over-under is about 71, I believe. SMU's laying 22. I think they easily win this game by four to five, maybe even six touchdowns, which means you may want to look at the over. SMU's defense is nothing to write home about, but Texas State has so many problems on their offensive line year after year, and they continue to sputter. Um, supposed to be, you know, Spatnell's supposed to have this thing all, you know, Jake Spatnell was supposed to have this offense, but three years ago, it just keeps getting worse. So every year, the offense continues to sputter. I don't see why Texas State's going to be any better. They can't get a quarterback to save their life. They can't get anyone on the offensive line to stay. This is more or less a fade on Texas State, but I do like Boshaw a lot. Maybe look for a prop for him to load up on some yards. Southern Millionaires University, a.k.a. my first official pick, SMU minus the 22, yikes. Laying some big chalk there, but hey, you know what? Danny Belts will do that early in the year. Let's get back to the wheelhouse. Middle Tennessee State plays Army. Interesting game here. Um, we all know Stockstill, the coach. Is his kid still the quarterback? I think Brett Stockstill was there for 106 years. I swear he was there for nine years. Uh, I like the guy as a coach. You know, last year they were terrible. Close to being 6-6, six and six, two weird losses, one particularly versus Rice. Re-elect our quarterback, Asher O'Hara. Boy, can he run. 1,000-yard rusher last year. He gets out in the open. He has shades of Kaepernick. Uh, stronger than he appears, too. And then that massive receiver they have, Pierce. They list him at 6'5", 230, but he looks like Megatron with those arms. Just a big dude. He's pretty fast. Uh, could be a sleeper in the draft. I'm not sure. I can't really catch that well. But the Army, more a fade on them. So new quarterback. Two new running backs, entire new offensive line. Half their defense is gone. Nothing new for Army. I'm sure they'll settle in with that little kid. Uh, what's his name? I should have written it down. About 185 pounds, more of a scat back than their quarterback. Um, it's just I'm not sure that they're ready right now. Uh, Middle Tennessee does have a lot of returning starters, particularly in the offensive line. Their defense will struggle. They're not bad up front, but this line opened up at five, got down to three and a half. Only 35% of the public on MTSU. This is how I like it. This is more right in Belts' wheelhouse. We're going to be taking MTSU here, Middle Tennessee State, getting three and a half points on the road. And there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, my neighbor across the street, Fantasy Joe, seems to think that the over is a good play here. Not going to deny that. Not going to get away from that one. I just think I'd take the points here. And as you know, we don't bet a dog, less what, lest we think they can win. Give me Middle Tennessee State plus the three and a half. And my third pick, my final pick tonight, Southern Miss to the top, plays South Alabama, Southern Miss. 13-point favorite. I don't really understand why. I could play defensive back for this team. I'm almost positive. 
Uh, quarterback play, obviously it'll come down to that. When does it not? However, South Alabama returns nearly their entire offensive line. I do think they can move the football. Their defense is going to be shaky, particularly with those freshmen on the corners. I don't know about that. I think USM can move the football. They could win by 7, 14, or 21. I don't know, but I do think you're going to see points tonight. I think you're going to see a lot of points in the NFL with no crowds, as we spoke about last week. So I do like South Alabama to the top Southern Mississippi over 57. The juice is heavy right now, 125. Look for that to move to 57 and a half. It could potentially get to 58 by the time this thing goes down tonight. Quick recap from Danny Belt. Southern Millionaires University, Southern Methodist, minus 22. Old Sonny Dykes, Shane Bochelle, what do they have for us? Let's see. I don't think Texas State can defend them. MTSU, plus three and a half. An Army-type fade. Tommy Bench probably loves that one. Go Navy. Beat Army. And the Jaguars of South Alabama with to the top Southern Miss. Over 57 points. I usually come out the gate running. Let's see if Belts can do it again. What a great episode. I met some really cool people in Colorado yesterday at the airport. One was this guy named Phil Harrow who does makeup uh, and special effects makeup for super crazy people in Hollywood. He's got pictures of him in 50 Cent, him in pictures of like uh, Christian Slater, uh, The Rock. Christian Slater, that was random. But he's got a bunch of uh, people in there that you know he does these special effect makeup with. And he's straight and he's a conservative. What are the odds of that in that crazy industry? He's going to come on the podcast um, he has a huge following on Instagram, and he's going to be coming on pretty soon as we do the guests of the Sports Antidote. He'll be a great interview. Also, we're going to be having fantasy football, college fantasy football Joe from the fantasy football site. He has thousands of followers as well of fantasy football, college fantasy football. I definitely consider him to be an expert in that. Once again, please follow me at Twitter, Danny underscore belts with a Z. Follow us at the Sports Antidote 1 at Twitter and on Instagram. The Sports Antidote. Next week, we will get into full-fledged college football, but we'll always have some anti-woke material. Hopefully, Tommy Bench, my co-host, the drunk neighbor, can jump on as well. Dickie Salvo, Ned Ryerson, and the like. Be sure and tune in next week. Tell your peoples about us, brah. You hear me, Chief? And keep it real, Antidotians.